Welcome, welcome, welcome to Nodes in the Net, a weekly tangential irreverent conversation that caters to the interests of liminal trickster mystics like you. And like Heather Freeman, who is today's node. Heather is the star of the Magic in the United States podcast put out by PRX, and she was a delightful conversation partner. Uh, This is the exact kind of person that you want sharing your love of magic in in the you know magic with a k you know wicca uh techno mage techno pagan uh like real deal manifestation type magic uh with your mundane family members <laughs> i i don't want to use the word muggle cuz it's kind of ridiculous but uh we all have people in our families who do not necessarily believe the same things that we do. Heather's podcast, Magic in the United States, is a great way to introduce them to the things that you are passionate about that comprise your religious beliefs or your uh, personal rituals. Uh, this this is a podcast that takes magic seriously, and I, I think that everyone should listen to it. Uh, whether you're a practitioner yourself who uh, actually... Uh, wants to just deepen their appreciation or whether you like really do want to share it with you know uncle joe who's a a fundamentalist scientific materialist who (laughs) uh, needs to have his doors blown open a little bit uh, to better understand the wild mysteries that are available to us if we dare to step outside the mainstream of metaphysical thought and you know open ourselves to uh maybe slightly more esoteric practices it's a great episode with heather we we cover a wide range of subjects and uh it was extraordinarily easy to talk to her heather is a professor of art and digital media at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte and she holds an MFA in studio art from Rutgers University uh, you know, she is credentialed, folks. <laughs> this is someone who uh, really puts together a podcast that is career in broadcast journalism quality. Uh, and like I said, it's put out by PRX and, and the the polish and the editing and the seriousness of it is really the honor that Magic deserves. So go listen to it. But first, why don't you listen to this episode of Nodes in the Net with her. I guess before we get to that conversation, I will uh, read you a little bit of this week's essay at the Creek Mason Substack. Of course, there's going to be lots of ways to find uh, Heather Freeman on creekmasons.substack.com. And there's also an essay out as of last Friday that is about it well it's the second part of my two-part series called midlife mid-poly crisis uh because i'm uh choosing not to have a midlife crisis i'm choosing to experience midlife amidst the poly crisis let me read you a little bit from part two and then uh we'll jump right into this wonderful chat with professor heather freeman Plasmas up to a kilometer in size behaving similarly to multicellular organisms have been filmed on 10 separate NASA space shuttle missions over 200 miles above Earth within the thermosphere. These self-illuminated plasmas are attracted to and may feed on electromagnetic radiation. They've been filmed accelerating, slowing down, stopping, congregating, engaging in hunter-predatory behavior, quote-unquote, and intersecting plasmas, leaving a plasma dust trail in their wake. This is from the abstract of an article entitled Extraterrestrial Life in Space, Plasmas in the Thermosphere, UAP Pre-Life, Fourth State of Matter, on the apparently legitimate website ResearchGate. Dive down the path of wild pattern seeking with me. 
What if the whole point of spiritual search was to make us tastier for these beings? Buddha, Jesus, Paul Selig, they're all just adding seasoning to our electromagnetic souls. But it could just as easily be the bad vibes are what they find tasty. Maybe the reason everything is so sensationalized and terroristic is because these beings are influencing us to be scared all the time. Perhaps they've arrived here and we're delighted to find a big source of electromagnetic energy. Now they're into farming and harvesting it. That's the Matrix, right? A retelling of an ancient Gnostic myth. It sometimes weirds me out that if Paul Selig is legitimately a medium, we have no real idea what motivations the beings he's channeling might have. As I mentioned earlier, they frequently repeat that any teaching that inspires fear is a false teaching, but is that because the alternative is a tasty little love being? Maybe I should fear a little? Or maybe the Melchizedek, a title from the Bible referring to a race of wise awakened beings, are promoting us shedding the fear impulse because they don't want us to become food. Or what if being eaten by a plasma being is the aim? You might escape samsara that way. Maybe the reason we read the Tibetan Book of the Dead to people is to help their souls get eaten. Every scenario is equally plausible or equally implausible. There's nothing to do except believe whatever allows you to leave the most options open. You need to make plans that work in a lot of different scenarios and hope for the best. We're clear-pilled here, after all. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> Hello, Heather. Hey, how's it going, Gio? It's going good. It's great, actually. I'm uh, I'm just recovering from COVID, as I was just telling you, and I'm feeling a lot better. But hopefully, uh, the slight stuffy nose that is still in my nose isn't going to bother too many people. <laughs> <laughs> but... I, you know, it's worth it to get to talk to you. You have one of the most uh, intriguing podcasts about magic that I've ever listened to. The oh, quality of it, thank you, is so wonderful. Um, it's you know similar to someone else who's been on the podcast, uh, Mitch Horowitz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, there's like a a professionalism and a seriousness and a rigor that that I think and accessibility that you bring. <laughs> Uh, to like the topic of magic that um, that I think it deserves. It's like it's really cool to to hear it uh, taken so seriously. Oh, I really appreciate that. I mean, it's um, we have a team with PRX, so they they. I mean, it's really mostly them taking the the hot mess that I give them and and, and like and, and making it something that's really. Um, uh, suited for a generalist audience, but um, but uh, at, at least I, as a practitioner too, I know that I've learned so much researching different episodes. So I hope it's also uh, a good resource for practitioners too. Yeah, I well, I'm learning a ton. I knew a little bit about techno paganism, which is yeah. like kind of that's where I want to start. Yeah, yeah, that's a, um, that's a favorite topic for me. <laughs> yeah, of course. We're I mean, we met also on Discord. You know, in addition to uh, that's where all the person. cool folks hang out. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. You could call us that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to claim it and make it real through manifestation. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Right. It, it, we'll manifest our own coolness. Yeah, right? Exactly. That's it's how that works. <laughs> I've tried everything else. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so we got the sun for our, uh, for our card for the podcast. Sweet. Do you, do you read tarot? Do you have yeah, this? Yeah, I mean, I, like I... I periodically think that I'm good at it and then I meet somebody who's really good at it and then I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I am still at zero. I am still the fool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So are you, are you using Waitsmith or what, what deck are you using? Yeah, it is. It is the Waitsmith deck. It is, um, 
you know, it's the Terrobot that uh, one of the oh, right. previous guests on the on this podcast uh, wrote in like JavaScript or whatever. Nice. So it's a Discord bot. So Sweet. there's a little bit of techno paganry, <laughs> paganism oh, heck uh, yeah. there. Um, and I, you know, it's really funny. The more that uh, the bot catches on, I was just talking to him. Uh, this is Barclay. Yeah. Um, it, I was just talking to him about how there's like over 300 servers or something that are using it now. Oh, that's and awesome. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the more that like um, experienced people play with a tarot deck, the more like personality, it, like it, it, it becomes more uh, instantiated, I guess, or like, right, yeah. draws from it are a little bit more potent. And I think that's something that's happening with this. Oh yeah. Uh, robot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, since it's up on a server, it does have, you know, a theoretical cloud location. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we got the sun, which is uh, it's like a naked baby riding a horse right. waving fabric in the air and the sun is kind of watching him from the background. Uh it's a card that is traditionally associated with positivity, fun, warmth, success, vitality. Uh, reversed, it can refer to the inner child feeling down, perhaps being overly optimistic. Uh, but it's like a, it's an energetic card for sure. Does oh, that yeah. bring anything up for you? Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, uh, you know, there's also the sunflowers in it and yep. um, the white horse and um, uh, and that wall, you know, and that wall uh, is always so interesting to me because there's this idea of um, of youth to it too, of childhood, yeah. vim and vigor, um, yeah. and and hopefulness and optimism, um, and that sun, that wall behind them is always so interesting and enigmatic to me because mm. it's like. Is it that wall that we have as children where we just can't see past into um, adulthood and the in- inevitable griefs that happen as adults? Or, or is it a protective wall and it's the wall that shields us from those, those griefs? Um, and so I don't mm. know, like the, the quality of uh, childhood sort of, I'm, like I guess it's naivete, right? But, um, but not in a negative sense, like in the sense that you're – you have this sort of enchanted world that you can exist in for a small fraction mm-hmm. of your life. Um, and if you live long enough, inevitably that, that sort of breaks down, um, which is a yeah. little sad, but, but also beautiful, I think too, just the nature of life. Yeah. So that, that is, that is really wonderful. And there's, um, you know, uh, another frequent guest to the show, uh, Meg, who I'm like meeting with a little bit later today, uh, does this thing, in her uh, her podcast is called magical uh, magical reawakening because uh, the idea there is that everyone uh, it almost everyone at, at the age of you know seven or whatever is much more open to believing in the possibility of magic and then <clears throat> for some of us that like kind of gets like, stamped out or something yeah. it's like uh it's uh, it's considered unserious or you know my right. daughter um caught me vibrating the lbrp yeah uh, uh, like a year ago or something yeah and she's already at that age where she's like self-conscious and like, yeah you know, whatever. the preteen the preteen yeah, right. Exactly. And so she's going like, Dad, what are you doing? And it's just, <laughs> uh, just like, Dad's doing, she walks into the living room, Dad's doing his weird meditation again. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I think that's really funny. And, um, and it's, you know, it's, well, I, it, it yeah. leads back to what I was saying at the beginning about your podcast, which is that like we can actually, even as adults, you know, uh, take take magic as you know potentially one of the one of the forces in the world. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Um, it's and it's funny you say that about your daughter. My my son is uh, going to turn sixteen uh, in April, and 
Um, I think there was like a window when he was probably about your daughter's age where he was like, mom stuff is weird and not cool enough. And like, and now he's like at this age where he kind of brags on me, like, and this is even before the podcast, right? Like he was just like, yeah, my mom does weird stuff. And like, that's cool, (laughs) you know? And so he's, he's sort of in that little rebel phase. And I'm sure I keep thinking like, yeah, and then he's going to be 20 at some point, you know, uh, you know, spirit swelling and, and, uh, and I'm just not going to be cool again. He's not going to want to bring partners home or whatever. Um, yeah, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, like, I feel like, um, you know, I definitely had that sort of childhood love of the mysterious and, and, and this idea that the world around me was enchanted and, and, you know, you can sort of craft that for yourself as a child. Um, mm. and then teenager stuff happens and in my case college and then a career and, and I really fell out of it for like a good 20 years, um, mm. which was weird because most of my art. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm an art professor and, and mostly was doing animations and mixed media prints. Um, and, uh, I, a lot of it still had like, you know, the larger of my two feet, like in this sort of esoteric history and this interest in the invisible. Um, but it was, it was, it was with a certain distance to it. You know, it was looking, it was art about the esoteric rather than art Mm. that was esoteric. And, Mm. Um, and what's interesting is I think that's a conversation that's been happening, um, in academic art spaces, especially, but I think in other spaces too, this, this nuance and distinction between art that, um, celebrates the esoteric or maybe even just, um, exoticizes it, honestly. Um, Mm. and, and that's neither here nor there, but there are some problematics in that, of course, um, Mm -hmm. uh, versus like practitioner artists. And then if you're a practitioner artist looking at, um, you know, the role of the audience in that artwork. Um, and so there's some really interesting artists who, um, thought that, artwork is a magical working and it's inert Mm. until an audience interacts with it. And so the audience Mm. is sort of complicit in that. Um, And then I have feelings about that too, because it's like, do they know this going into it? Because I feel like there's some consent things there. So anyway, (laughs) I don't know. It's a really interesting topic, but, um, but it's one that I really only kind of fell back into about 10 years ago. So, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. So. Yeah. Well, 10 years. So not long. uh, Yeah what what woke you back up like they say i guess that like you know once you've done one lbrp or whatever you, you're <laughs> on the path and like you're you're always going to be drawn back to it i i think i've i mean i've even heard people say that about buddhism though but uh you know what what reminded gate- you that you're what's you're, your gateway drug <laughs> yeah what was your gateway drug exactly <laughs> um yeah it was i mean it was a couple things like uh you know, I was, I was, uh, 40 ish and like, um, and, and my mom had passed away. And I think, you know, part of that is like reaching this point in my life where I had a career, I had a kid, I had a partner, um, and, and then your parents start dying, you know, and I had already, I'd already lost a best, my best friend from college, um, a couple of years before. So that facing those, that phase of your life, when you start losing people who are really, really close to you, um, mm. that, that set me, I mean, I didn't really realize it when I was there, but I was in a really dark spot for a while and I was fine. I was doing my thing, doing my career, being with my family. Um, but I was really, you know, there's a sense of sleepwalking through life. Um, yeah. I think it wasn't so much sleepwalking, but I had the covers actively over my head <laughs> as I was going through life. Um, yeah. and, um, around my, my mom died of cancer. And around that time, I, I realized I needed something in my life besides caring for a small child and trying to do a career and then driving eight hours to, to go with her to chemo things. Um, and so I took up archery just kind of randomly. Um, yeah, yeah. I was just like, I need to be in my body. Like uh, all I do is sit at a computer or sit in a car. (laughs) So I was like, I should do something. Um, and, uh, and I basically, I read like, um, a Salman Rushdie book where one of the characters did Olympic mm. archery. And like, that was, I was like, okay, I'll try that. Um, and then hunger games came out and then it got cool. Um, oh, yeah, right. Of course. But, yeah. But, uh, but there was, um, uh, a woman who, uh, came to, uh, the, the club. I was the advisor for a campus club and there was a woman who came to the club who was a grad student and, um, she was really cool. And, um, uh, and she'd periodically show up to these things. And, you know, I got to know a lot of these students over, over the, over that time. 
Um, and she was like funny and super smart and like a wicked feminist and like very progressive and like took no shits from anybody. Oh, can I curse? I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. You're good. Okay. You're okay. Good. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, I yeah. should have asked that before. Yeah. Took no shits. Um, and yeah. I was like, you know, this lady's awesome. Like she's really cool. I'm like, so I, you know, whatever. And we were at an archery event one day and she was like fiercely writing notes on a, on a piece of paper. And I figured this was like grad school stuff that she was working on during, during mm-hmm. the lunch. This is lunch during the archery meet. And I was like, Whoa, what are you doing? And she was just kind of like, you know, buzz off. I'm busy. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, <laughs> but I'm being annoying. Cause that's what I do. Um, I'm like a closet journalist. I'm being annoying. Um, so I was like, I was like, no, no, no. What are you doing that? Like, you know, what are you working on? And she's like, well, I'm working on a talk, uh, for a, a local shop. And I was like, Oh, what is it about? She's like, she sort of sits for a second and she's like, it's about the horned God. And okay. I was like, horned God. And so I, I knew she was religious studies. So I was like, Oh, like continue. <laughs> you know. And yeah. she's like, it's about the horned God of the Wicca and I'm mm-hmm. Wiccan. And like, and that just sort of, and at that point she was like, and I need to get this done. So can you like, let me let me be so I can finish this because this has to happen in an hour. I was like, okay. Um, But for some reason, and and now I know why, but like um, that clicked something in my brain because Mm. I, like I conceptually knew that there were people who practiced witchcraft, right? Mm -hmm. But I didn't think it was real. Like I thought it was like, like D and D, you know, like which I yeah. played D and D, but I thought it was like something like D and D. Like literally, I didn't think this was actually a serious religious practice. <laughs> like I was just like, oh, it's a game, right? Um, yeah. And the fact that she context she contextualized it in the sense of religious studies, um, like it blew my mind because mm. there was this woman who was super smart, very sensible, grounded, down to earth, nothing. Uh, new thoughty or new agey about her at all. Um, and yet, and she was like, but she participated in this religion and Mm. which I, I didn't realize there was a religion even at that moment. I still thought of it as like a weird D and D thing. Um, so, um, that kind of set me on this path to understand like what, like people actually do magic. (laughs) <laughs> like yeah. that's actually a thing. Um, right. and it's just kind of never stopped, you know, since then it's like, uh, the more I dig into the vast plurality of practices and both theistic practices and not, and also like non-theistic practices, um, just the bigger the world of magic and esotericism becomes. And I, like, I was talking with somebody the other day about this feeling of, Oh my God, like I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna even scratch the surface of this. Like maybe I should give up because it's like impossible. Um, yeah. and I I have that experience pretty mm. often where I'm like, wait, there's this whole other practice from this other, like, you know, time period and yeah. whatever. Um, and I love that about it. I love it. It it's um it's so such a relief to live in a world that's enchanted. Um, yeah. And yet like, and this was a thing that, that um, people who knew me uh, sort of struggled with when I first started getting into this, cause I was a little bit of a zealot um, uh, that it's possible to live in an enchanted world and also have both your feet on the ground and mm. be practical and take care of basic needs and, yeah. you know, and yeah. do everyday things. Um so, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, that was, that was the door that blew open for me. Yeah. Um, and it was a real, it was a real crisis for a little while. Like I, right. I thought I was maybe losing it cause I was like, what, what magic? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, it was great. I, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you, you know, what specifically you practice, but I just, I just want to, uh, mark that comment that like, I think it might've been Chogyam Trungpa who said that until you have like a really a close encounter with mm. death, your yeah. spiritual search is, is inevitably dilettantish. And, and yeah. that's just the way that the way that things seem to work. And I think that that's, that's, uh, that's really interesting that it came to you there and Wicca, mm. uh, you know, of all things I had a, 
a similar experience in uh, in 2020, which I guess you know, as yeah. a society, we all encountered death, and I'm right. I'm still curious to see uh, what sorts of awakenings that collective initiation might might have inspired. I think that you're starting to mm. notice, you know, more like new thought, new age kind of people. Certainly, right. it, it seems like anyway. Yeah. Um, it's a great way of phrasing it as a as a collective initiation. I like that. Yeah, a lot. yeah, it, yeah. it kind of yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It it, it follows some of the death and a birth. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and so, uh, and so, yeah, the uh, the experience of like waking up one day and realizing like, oh, there's been this other world that's like kind of underground a little bit or off to the fringes where people have been taking the occult seriously all this time. And like, you know, I may have read some, you know, lengthy blog articles where everything's written out in a single rambling paragraph when I was in college or, you know, I may have experimented with that stuff and gotten my feet wet on like, or, or teeth cut? I don't know what the expression feet is. Feet wet, cut your is teeth. That, all is that works. right? Yeah, they both work. You can okay, have wet good. feet and cut teeth. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I have both. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and that, um, that, that kind of like I, I fell back asleep and then, you know, in 2020, I, I started reemerging into the world of uh, spiritual seeking spiritual journey uh and so i i relate to that a lot so what it, what it, what are your practices like now they're really plural and kind of they're, it's, a, it's a little messy and chaotic like i i Love was it. um yeah joking with a friend that like you know if there's if there's a surface in a space in my house like at this point it's like <laughs> there's shrines or there are altars yeah. or like, or it's got books. And I feel a little guilty. Like I have to like be more disciplined about like, you know, <laughs> only have shrines to stuff that you're actually like taking care of, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's really plural and um, it's, it's funny. One of the things that's sort of been this unfolding for me with working on this podcast is really, um, uh, you know, one of the things that we are striving to do is um, have practitioners for every single episode um, so they can speak to their particular experience with whatever the practice is. Yeah. And, um, and also, and ideally have more than one practitioner to acknowledge that even within a singular practice, there's a vast plurality. Yeah. Um, and like, even if you think you like, you know, a practice, like, none of us ever really know the practices of another, you know? Um, and, um, one of the things that's become really clear to me is that, um, unless somebody is actively practicing something right now, Mm. they really don't know about it. Um, and so like periodically when I'm doing preliminary interviews, like I'll, I'll talk to people who'll be like, Oh, like I used to practice X, Y, and Z. Um, And invariably, they have these outdated ideas about X, Y, and Z. And when I talk to an active practitioner, it's like, oh, no, like it's all of these things are living traditions. They all live and thrive through us practicing them and they all change. And that's been very humbling to like think about what I do and I don't know. So like actually Mm. like going, you know, going like down that that road of new thought and manifestation, like in law of attraction, like I'm researching right now for an episode about that. Oh, wonderful. And it's so hard because like that is my, like that is, it's not even an implicit bias. I I know and I own that I have biases about new thought and law of attraction stuff. Like yeah. I, I have real concerns about people who, you know, I mean, the, the, my biggest concern is um, folks who uh, take that to a certain length and then they're like, well, I don't need to seek medical care because I can just manifest yeah, right. away my cancer or whatever. And and that that is a common critique of it. Um, and like part of this process for me has been like, but do I actually know anybody who would say to me forthright, like, yes, I, um, I, 
I adhere to the philosophy of new thought. I adhere to mm-hmm. the tenets of the law of attraction. And like, this is what my practice looks like. And I don't know anybody who does that, but yeah. they exist. And so I'm in the process of getting ready to do some preliminary interviews. Mm. And it's really, it's really humbling. Cause like, I'll go on, you know, different discord servers and like yeah. new thought sort of like a running joke in a lot of those servers that I hang mm. out on. And, yeah. and I realize like, oh, this is grounded on these histories and it makes sense. Um, mm. But I've realized there's no practice, there's no religion, there's no philosophy that's uh, immune from criticism um, for something. Certainly. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like unless I'm talking to somebody who's actively practicing it, I have no right to kind of forge those criticisms because I'm probably just going to be respinning something I heard online. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah. So I mean, that's why like I think my practice is pretty all over the map um, because mm. every time I encounter something that's really intriguing, I know that I, I can't know it until I'm part of that living practice yeah. of it. Um, do you find that, yeah. do you find that that's common, a uh, common like personality type among uh, people in, in this like alternative religion scene? It seems like a lot of us um, are, I don't know, more likely to want to be, I don't know, like more likely to be anarchists, really. (laughs) Like people who have like a a kind of desire for self-definition and autonomy and, Mm. um, and that syncretization, I think is the word of like picking up things from a lot of different places and smushing them together into something that feels authentic to, to you in particular as the practitioner. And like, You know, it, 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 even even Wicca, where there is like a you know, there's like a rule book, you know, and and Gerald mm-hmm. Gardner wrote it or whatever. But like yeah. the um, the specific, like you're saying, the specific practices from coven to coven, or even from like solitary witch to right. solitary witch, are are so different. And I think that I don't, I don't know anything about this, but mm-hmm. my intuition would be that it's more of a living thing than Catholicism. Absolutely. Or oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I I don't know about Catholicism. That's a good question. Um, it, I feel like you know, just be, as an example yeah. to pick on of something that's like very hierarchical. Yeah, and, and maybe the individual practitioners get less say. Yeah. in how they worship. Yeah, I I I don't know that that's true. Um, I think. Um, you know, it, it is like anything. Uh, the difference between Catholicism and initiatory Wicca for sure is that um, uh, Catholicism, the hierarchy is there's there's a single point, you know, the Pope, and then it sort of um, yeah. goes down from there. Um, and, uh, you know, you, of course you have like, you know, hundreds of years, well, thousands of years of history behind that. Mm-hmm. Um, things like the Nicene uh, Council that sort of yeah. pulled it down and shaped it. Um, and there's this idea that um, Catholicism is now sort of like locked into its own thing right now. But, you know, of course, with the current Pope, like there's been a lot of really interesting discourse about like, well, what does this mean for, you know, queer communities? And what does this right. mean for yeah. like, you know, women's, uh, you know, reproductive health, right? Like, like yeah. how much is this going to change? And so I would say Catholicism is still very much evolving. Um, certainly within initiatory Wicca, uh, you have, um, the book of shadows, but, um, and that's something that's passed down a lineage from coven to coven. Um, but you also have this thing called coven autonomy, which means that every coven can approach that material, uh, in their own way. And my impression talking to them is that there isn't actually a lot of consensus necessarily about what mm. what's constitute core material. Um, and that's part of the internal discourse that they have, you know, that's naturally like oath bound and stuff. But, um, yeah. but I think it's like, um, it, it's like, uh, my, um, my in-laws are Catholic and, um, I know that the uh, churches that they go to and their philosophies of their services that they go to is very, very different than some of the Catholic churches that my friends went to um, when I was growing up in New Jersey, for example. Um, mm. So there's, there's even within churches, individual churches, individual pastors will have their own kind of hot takes yeah. on things. And, and that's, that's, you know, the community, there's, there is a sort of similar idea that the community shapes that church, right? Okay. Um, yeah. And certainly in coven autonomy, um, you know, uh, what an individual coven decides to do is going to be up to that coven. And 
more likely than not, they're not going to talk about it in public spaces. And they're certainly yeah. not going to talk about it in public spaces uh, with non-initiates. Um, yeah. So that actually came up in the Hoodoo episode too, a similar concept that um, mm. because there's so much about Hoodoo root work and conjure that you can see on social media and on Etsy and stuff, yeah. uh, you get this impression when you mm. search for information that this is this practice. Um, but the fact, and that's true. That is an aspect of this practice. Um, but yeah. the fact of the matter is, um, these practices are inherently historically passed down within families to mm. certain family members. And it's there as a service to that family. And it's not something you like think about as a practice. Like that's not a word you would use to describe it. Mm. Um, but they're, um, very much a living tradition, a living practice, within those families, within those communities. Um, and they don't talk about it online and they don't sell books and they don't yeah. like do things. So, um, and even practitioners who do sell books and, and have an online presence, what they're actually really doing, if you read between the lines, they don't talk about it like hardly ever. So mm. I think, I think that's something that for those of us who are particularly those of us interested in Western esotericism, um, who are sort of like, you know, like me hodgepodging things together and sort of experimenting yeah. is to realize that, you know, when you do have these traditions that are uh, evolved within a community or that are oath bound with an initiation, um, whether it's Wicca or Lukumi or something else, like mm. there are things that you cannot know as an outsider. Mm. So we'd be false to assume that what we see on the surface is all there is to it, um, yeah. or, or even an accurate reflection of it. Um, and that's, uh, that's actually been very sobering. Um, because just when I think I know something and understand something, <laughs> all I got to do is talk to a practitioner and I'm like, Oh, they just sidestepped that whole question that I asked and like, you know, yeah. okay, cool. There's something, there's a there there, but that's yeah. not my place to know it. So, which is, it's yeah, humbling. Yeah. Interesting. It, it's kind of the, the like anthropological impulse to, uh, try and create taxonomies and, and make sense of the world and figure out the ways that, you know, all of these things share enough qualities in common that they can be part of a category. And, uh, and you know, this is the category of Wicca and this is the, you know, the category of hoodoo and they are separate in these ways and they have this stuff and, you know, all that stuff is, uh, is maybe, underplaying or or i guess like just not not paying enough attention to the reality that everything is infinitely complex you know yeah yeah it's, no and i i think it's a really human impulse and um and i i wonder a little bit if it's a very american impulse too i'm not i'm not yeah. sure because i haven't i haven't talked to enough folks from other parts <clears throat> of the world about this um but there is desire to like make order and be organized yeah. and i think like um, some people are drawn to things like the Golden Dawn or Wicca um, in the beginning of their practices um, because they are these clearly defined things where if you're just at a loss, you can go to a book and get started. Yeah. Um, and I think what happens, and this is a little tragic, is that um, then... Uh, uh, you know, sometimes people stay in those practices and sometimes they evolve to other practices. Um, but there's this sort of rhetoric that I've seen in a lot of communities where like, oh, you're still doing Golden Dawn or, oh, you're still doing Wicca. Like someday yeah. you'll grow up. And it's like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, or maybe there's depth there that like you just didn't get into because you moved on to other things, which is great. Like that's your path. Yeah. Um, and so I think, um, this idea that like, and I'm, that's something I'm really curious about in pagan spaces is this desire to make some practices somehow more, more air quotes serious than other mm. practices, like where that comes from. Um, my impression and sense is that um, it's a way of dealing with the insecurity that we all have as practitioners mm. that like, we're all we're all just trying the best we can and like when yeah. we're discerning an experience with a spirit like i i don't know like i can't know for sure like what yeah what i what, but i'm gonna discern the hell out of it and hope that my data points get better <laughs> over time but like i think there's a lot of like um insecurity that i think is a beautiful part of these practices but mm. um american culture really wants us to be 
um, confident and say, this is how it is. I said what I said. <laughs> yeah, and right. like, you know, <laughs> and it's like, but magic doesn't necessarily work that way. So yeah. Yeah, it's true there. I mean, it, um, there's a lot of it where even when you're getting results after, um, you know, firing a sigil or whatever, right. it, there's, there's, uh, always a part of me who, that like wants to, second guess like oh did this really come or you know i want to i want to explain everything in multiple different ways like not just so that like you were saying earlier like that that um ability to know your social security number and also know that you have a Buddha <laughs> nature you know what i mean like yeah yeah totally <laughs> that uh you know being able to exist in both worlds requires us to be a little bit more liminal about whether we like go all in on our beliefs and it it can be pretty ostracizing or, or alienating i guess to um to go in and and be like super devout yeah. Uh, and so I, I like to I like to balance my uh, results even that I'm getting with a little dose of doubt and and yeah. too much credulity like definitely is is almost something I'm allergic to. Um, but yes, this uh, this experience that you're describing of encountering practitioners who are like maybe a little elitist, I think I think. Uh, I think I read somewhere that the archetype of the sage has like yeah. a shadow side of being an elitist. Yeah. And uh, I think it may, it may have been on uh, one of the like sub stacks that I, that I frequent, but like the, it, it's the thing about being a sage. And I think that that's kind of what we're all aspiring to in the alternative spirituality community. We're like mm-hmm. trying to, uh, yeah, it's, no one reads more books than people who are into <laughs> this yeah. like magic stuff, you know, yeah. like no one I've ever encountered in my life reads more books than us. And, uh, and it's a desire to like collect and accumulate and syncretize and whatever else. And it's ultimately, it comes down to that, like that little personal, like ego self, I guess that has like the special right, you know, combination right. of of personality that uh, creates a synthesis of all these disparate parts in in a way that's unique to just them, and there's something uniquely valuable about that, and that's what it is to uh, be a sage, I guess, is like yeah. that you have your own special take on the world, and your wisdom. Uh, can potentially, you know, or a mystic or whatever, you, you're a shaman, your wisdom serves the community because, uh, you you know, your special meanness, my special meanness is, is yeah. something that like everyone can benefit from. Yeah. The, the shadow side of that, I think that's really easy to get into is like, uh, well, uh, I'm more special than everyone else, you know? And because I did all that research, like mm-hmm. I actually, you know, I'm I'm kind of cool and you know, there's like too much attachment right. to um does that make sense? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, and and it can go to a different extreme too where um you know, like this this happens sometimes I've noticed with some authors where like um somebody'll publish a book and then people will be like, "Ugh, they think they know so much, you know, and it's like, yeah. but it's like, no, they just happen to be the one who published the book. And like, they have worked hard for that, but, um, uh, you know, they probably have the same insecurities as all the rest of us, you know? And, um, and, and I think that that's really getting at this really fascinating part of things where, um, m- so much of this work is so inherently solitary, um, mm. Or potentially with a small group, but like generally speaking, it's it's very solitary. Um, yeah. But we're inherently social animals. Like we, yeah. like the thing we are really excel at as creatures is our human interactions and our relationships. And so, of course, we want to talk about this stuff with people who are also invested in this. Like obviously, um, and that there's a tension there then, though, because. Um, some of the most profound experiences really are, they defy language. And yet mm. we're sort of trying to find words to yeah. convey an experience um, 
in order, not necessarily, sometimes it's to get um, affirmation, right? Like that Mm. is a thing and there's nothing really wrong with that. Um, But sometimes it's also a part of that process of, of getting a checksum of like, you know, trying to discern like, Hey, this is my experience. I'm just looking to see if anybody else had this or if I'm like way off and left yeah. field and I just don't even know it. Yeah. Um, and so um, that that desire for community as, as social animals, but also the role of community in helping us with that process of discernment is, is so really sort of precious and fragile mm. um, because it's very, very easy, for, especially I noticed this on, on text-based servers, Discord servers, you know, yeah. it's so easy to... Um, have uh, not be able to present all the information in a clear way. And then people make assumptions about what you do or don't know, or what you mm. do, or what you did or didn't do. And, and, and so the actual core question guys kind of gets lost. And, yeah. And that like that, the process of all of us smelling each other's butts to see like, you know, <laughs> like who, who we are as dogs. Um, I, like we foster dogs. Sorry. It's like, that's like, yeah, obviously smelling butts. That's what we do. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that like, I, like it fills my heart in a really weird way watching, um, these kind of, kind of interactions happen on, on discord servers, because I feel so much, empathy and caring for the people who are trying to make that human connection. Mm. And then I feel so much sympathy for the people who are trying to help, but sometimes, but they just are sometimes like crossed wires. Um, and, 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 and cause it's heartbreaking when it happens, but it's like, Mm. it's like rooting people on, (laughs) you know, like I want, I want everybody to like (laughs) make those social connections and find those communities and be able to have those spaces. But it takes so long. It takes so long because it takes long in real life. And it takes, I would say it takes even longer online because it's just words. And yeah. We can't smell each other's butts, so whatever. Yeah, there's no, <laughs> there's no literal, uh, olfactory uh, <laughs> element. Input. To it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which so yeah. Uh, undoubtedly that's what uh, that's what auras are, right? It's just us smelling each other's, you know, clouds of particles and and skin flakes and hormones and pheromones right. and stuff. Right. That's, and that's <laughs> and that those are skills I have never been good at. So it's like I. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah, but it's like I, you know, I'll go to these Discord servers and I, um, I like w- there's a few spaces where I feel comfortable sort of sharing, um, my sort of magical experiments with other people, mm. but, um, but there's spaces that I've really, I've, I've spent months and months or years kind of gingerly kind of feeling things out. Um, and, and the thing that I, I frequently forget is that most of these servers have, you know, maybe, you know, dozens of active people, let's say, depending, you know, uh, hermetic house of life has, is a huge server with like a lot of people. Um, but, but then you have a huge percentage percentage that lurk and, and that's, that's a very, I mean, if you think about having a conversation in a small room with like five of your friends and then imagine, and, and they're friends that you trust and you know, and Mm. then imagine having that same intimate conversation in a much bigger room and you're sitting close up with your five friends, but then there's a hundred people around you listening in. Yeah. It's so easy to forget that. And that does change what you say. Yeah. 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 Well, so this is, I, we're back to techno-paganism now. Yeah. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I, 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 like, I like what we're doing, though. You know, we're like following the energy and there's like, yeah. it's, it, there's a thread that runs through everything that we've talked about that is the sun. It's like, where's yeah. their energy? Where's their vitality? Where's their like childhood, childlike wonder? Yeah. Um, and also, I'm really interested in this concept of techno paganism. Yeah. Um, can you? It's. I don't know that it's like a super uh, familiar term to everyone. So maybe we can start with just like a a quick. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, it's funny because I was I was just on the Arnamancy podcast and he and I were joking about how there's like five people in the world who care about this, but I'm like, no, I'm sure there's more. It's like those Discord <laughs> servers are just lurking. Um, yeah. Because they're probably like, I don't know, into crypto and whatever. Um, But yeah, so um, it's funny. um, Sort of like, so you have like paganism, 
neo-paganism, contemporary paganism. We have these different words that we use to talk about a, a sort of broad um, umbrella category of people. And um, really, like which words you choose sort of, it, like it all kind of means the same thing for the most part. It just sort yeah. of says like, when did you start reading about it? So like, you know, <laughs> in the like 80s and 90s, like neo-pagan was like the phrase that you would use. And, and, and now I think um, people tend to use just either pagan or contemporary pagan more. Yeah. Um, and so techno-pagan is also a term that's like, like uh, some people use it, some people don't like it. They feel like it's outdated. Um, uh, and also what we mean by techno is really nuanced and complex now. So mm. um, in the second episode of Magic in the US, yeah. um, it was really very specifically looking at BBSs and BBS communities, which were sort mm -hmm. of the first kind of social networks um, that... Uh, um, were really being used um, by just everyday people, um, including pagans and occultists. And um, today, like if I were going to talk about a techno pagan or a techno occultist or techno esotericist, um, and and I think that they're they sh they are kind of distinct terms because you might be an occultist, but you might not necessarily be a pagan, um, and vice versa. Um, mm. But uh, but it's like, it's like, what aspect of things are we talking about? Like, are we talking about uh, people interacting on social media? Um, then like, how is that different than just being like, you know, I, I wouldn't talk about myself as being like a techno mom because <laughs> yeah. like I text my son, you know, yeah. actually now I feel like I should call myself, I'm a techno mom. <laughs> I'm cooler than the other moms because I use text messaging. <laughs> That'd be great. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm going to tell my kid that. Um, <laughs> he's going to be really embarrassed. Um, what but <laughs> no, <right. laughs> ways to embarrass your kids. Oh yeah. Uh, so easy. Um, but uh, so I think, I think like really uh, sort of parsing out like, what are people doing? Like, what are, what are they doing? So, you know, this is a theme that comes back again and again in the podcast um, is that, uh, everybody practices bricolage, right? Like it's not bricolage, something we consciously that's... do. Yeah. yeah. But we're all like, we're all mixing, right? It's just, yeah. it's part of being human. We just do it all the time. We don't even think about it. Um, and then, and then the other part of that is like, um, uh, when we're interacting with technologies, like what is our relationship back to that? And, and where does that dovetail with other things? So, um, I know tons and tons of magical practitioners um, and contemporary pagans and witches and all kinds of folks who all use social media, right? Mm. But like, if you live in the United States today and you have a cell phone, you're probably on social media, right? Like that's just kind of, it's yeah. not a given, but pretty, pretty close to it. Meanwhile, then you have people on say like Discord servers who are using uh, maybe the tarot bot. So that's yeah. not everybody uses apps specific to their magical practice, but there is then this other category of people who might not necessarily be on social media, but they use digital tools in their magical practice, you know, whether it's mm. for astrology or divination. Astrology is probably the big one because, I mean, just being able to access ephemera yeah. online is like a game changer. Totally. Um, so, you know, so there's using existing tools, right? Um, and then you have people who are uh, creating these digital tools mm. or who, and some of them are creating these digital tools for the broader community. And some of them are creating tools just for themselves because they're like, I have this thing I need to do magically. Um, I'll just write the script and it's going to take care of it for me. Yeah. Um, and, and then it's, it starts getting really, really vast and murky and plural from there. So like you have, you know, groups that work magically online, you have groups that like experiment, um, with, uh, generative AI for like magical workings, um, Ooh. you know, over great distances. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's like, once you start getting really into the weeds, um, that word uh, techno-pagan or techno-magician is trying to do so much work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like, yeah. So um, so I at this point, um, I don't know. It's like I'll ask people like, you know, oh, you know, you're a magical practitioner. Cool. You know, and then, uh, you know, I'll, they'll, I'll be like, what do you do? Oh, you're, you know, uh, you know, white hat air quotes, white hat hacker or whatever. Um, whatever that <laughs> yeah. um, and then, uh, and like, Oh, do you use 
that their tech skills and your magic. Oh, you do. <laughs> well, let's now we can tuck in and like get into yeah. that. So, so the very the plan is the very last episode of the of season three, which will be the last episode of the series. Um, I, I'm hoping to interview um, some uh, contemporary practitioners who are really, really deep in the weeds of technology and magic. Mm. Um, and I'm saving that towards last because that stuff is changing so rapidly. I'm just yeah. like, I don't know. <laughs> I'll be answering to our AI overlords by then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, which, which, uh, you know, uh, Jason Louv spent a lot of time talking about the generative AI on his podcast, the ultra culture podcast. Yeah. Um, I just love it. And it, one of the points that he made, or maybe his guest was that, uh, for people, when ChatGPT first kind of like exploded into public awareness, everyone was questioning like, is it sentient? Is it conscious? Is it a being or whatever? And Jason Lou's joke was like, it's not hard for someone who's into magic to see right. that there's a form of consciousness. Right. Like if, right. if nothing else, it's like, it's got like kind of its own little egregore personality yes. and it is Absolutely. something you'd like communicate with it in a similar way to, um, you know, Grant Morrison says you, you invoke moods in yourself right. and, and that's like kind of the chaos um, technique of like bringing a God into your body and having it, you know, I guess, like write your comic book for you if you're Grant Morrison. Right, Uh, right. uh, Yeah, and and that that is kind of very similar to what you're doing with ChatGPT where you're asking it to, um, you know, embody this kind of character and give me an answer to – you know, whatever question, right? It's yeah, yeah. There, there are a lot of similarities between between them. Um, I, I, I wanted to ask you. So, like this concept of um, people online collaborating over distance in order Mm -hmm. to like do spell work is something that's really interesting to me. I'm like, personally, maybe I'm a little spooked out by the idea of like, uh, maybe the more like transactional magic type stuff where you like, you offer something and get something back in return. Um, And, but or I guess, and at the same time, I'm also like very intrigued by the idea of, you know, the Creek Masons are a digital cup. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. we're a digital sangha, whatever you want to call us. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in ways that we can bring some of that, like, I think you, you said on the, um, on those old servers, it was right. like very, very fueled by Discordianism. Mm-hmm. And, yep. um, and there's, uh, what is, Maybe you can remind me the name of the like Internet Book of Shadows, or maybe that's what. It oh is. yeah, the the Podsnet Book of Shadows, or yeah. uh, calling it the Internet Book of Shadows is a lot of people call it that yeah. too. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe we can. <laughs> it's funny. I I don't like asking questions that I no. already know the answer to, but I found Do this it. so fascinating in in the episode on techno paganry that like. Um, how people would do the kind of like asynchronous spell work. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, I know. That was so cool. Yeah. And that story at the end was just so like lovely. Um, Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, basically um, during the BBS days, right, this was – it was asynchronous. So um, just super fast for people who are younger, <laughs> younger than 50. Um, <laughs> yeah. God. Oh, no. So old. <laughs> so old. All right. Um, but basically, um, it's it was sort of like uh, asynchronous uh, Reddit, if you want to think about it that way. So sure. you would uh, go to the server. You would call into your local server. You would check your messages, you would write a message, and you'd log off because only one person could be in the space at a time because it was all dial-up phone lines. And then um, the system operator would upload things, um, and then other people would log into their local servers the next day, and then they could read your message, and then they would respond and then upload it. And then that night, the sysop would upload again. So you had to wait like a day, right, usually. I mean, sometimes it was faster, but basically. and so what people did, um, and and uh, there's there's transcripts of these things floating around. They're really hard to find, but like they're they exist. Um, where uh, they would have you, I mean, this is back in the um, you know like 80s, right? So like um, 
seventies, eighties, nineties, nineties, more like the nineties, early nineties. But like, um, mm. you know, the a lot of the structures were very um, either uh, Golden Dawn esque or uh, uh, Wiccan esque. But um, basically, you know, one person would come in and like call call the spirits of the east, and so they type this in and upload yeah. it. And then the next day, somebody else who's probably like geographically in the south compared to everybody else, like they would type in the invocation to the elements, you know, the, whatever guardians of the south, whatever yeah. system they're using. Um, and then you know they would they would go through and do that. And um, uh, there was this one transcript I saw. It was so funny. I just loved it. Um, so they there was this whole ritual, and so you could read it line by line, um, and it would say who the person was who said whatever part. And then after the the license to depart, they said, "Cool, you know." And everybody's describing like you know any kind of weird experiences they had over those couple of days that they were doing this one yeah. ritual. And then one guy was like, "Yeah, cool. So what did we just do?" <laughs> It was so great. Like, I loved it. But I was like, there was a spirit of just like, you know, yeah. fuck around, find out. And <laughs> and I I am so, I mean, I am recklessly in, invested in that philosophy. Sometimes I have to temper myself. I have some good friends who help temper me. Um, but, uh, but, but I mean, I think like they were, they knew they were experimenting and innovating. And it was one of these things where it's like, let's see if this even works. Like th there wasn't mm. a concern as much about like, oh my God, are we going to like destroy the world with our online magic? It was more like, we don't even know if this is going to work. Um, and it did. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things that uh, is really interesting to me uh, because I do some ma magic online too. And like um, uh, one of the things that's really interesting to me is people who are like, oh, that's just can't work. It's just not going to work. Yeah. Um, but who've never actually tried it. Mm. And all of us who practice magic know the very first time you try something, it's probably not going to work. So you yeah. try it again and then you try it again. And then like after the 10th time you do a thing, you start to like see results. So like, yeah. it's like anything else. It's a skill and a technique that you can build over time, mm. but you do need to be diligent about it. Um, but yeah, it's like, anyway, so it was just, it was really reaffirming to me as like a contemporary digital magical practitioner <laughs> to yeah. like hear that, that, Things were working asynchronously just over text, you know, like 50 years ago, well, 40 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That it, it is so cool. And so like, what's, what sorts of things are in this, uh, in this book of shadows? Like what, Oh what, gosh. Yeah. Like what, yeah. Are, what were people trying to accomplish? What were, Oh my gosh, all kinds of things. Um, and so the really fascinating thing about the, the Podsnet book of shadows, the internet book of shadows is that, um, you can go to archive.org and, and read it. Um, it's massive. It's, I, I'm, I am, I really wanted to say it's the world's biggest book of shadows, but, but my fact checker was like, just anything that's a superlative, you probably should just, yeah, just so I was like, okay, fine, <laughs> fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's shy, freaking enormous. Um, yeah. but it had a lot of copyrighted material in it. So, <laughs> so like there was definitely stuff that like, you know, is, is still a legal issue to this day, but I mean, there's copies floating all over the place um mm. but then you had like these like amazing discordian spells and then you'd have these like prayers and invocations that people would write and so you had folks from like really really different practices all over the world sort of like just uploading their stuff into this big archive mm. and like if we think about that like with with um you know, there's all these different servers, right? I mean, this is this is the the thing about Federation that's a little bit of a bummer. Um, you have all these different Discord servers, let's say, um, and but it's not like there's one particular Discord server where everybody goes to upload all of their prayers and spells and charms mm, and talismans yeah. and and like data from workings. Like, there's not a single repository that everybody's going to and just just sharing your stuff like wholesale. Um, what you find is you can go to individual blogs or websites or YouTube videos and people will talk about their work there. Mm. Um, but there's not like a centralized place. Yeah. And that's remarkable that that exists at all. And I, in my fantasy world, somebody somewhere will have the time and energy to start a discord server and just be like, let's just keep this thing going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is, I, I love it. I, I, I don't know if, uh, if there are Creek Masons out there listening who, who <laughs> want to like explore this thing, we got to 
get our hands on an illegal copy of a magical tome uh, in order to do like uh, long distance spell work. It sounds amazing. It sounds yeah. like the time of my life. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. And I mean, like, just like going to the Podsnet Book of Shadows on archive.org, like, and just like looking through it, there's so much there's, I mean, there's thousands and thousands of pages worth of material. Um, and some of it is really tongue in cheek. Some of yeah. it is super, super serious. Like, yeah. you know, um, but even the tongue in cheek stuff, like um, there's, there's an earnestness to that, you know, the serious play as it were, which is, yeah. I feel like is epitomizes a lot of um, discordianism and, and chaos magic. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Heather. Thank oh, you. For yeah. joining. Thank you for becoming a node in the net. It's wonderful. I'm yeah. a node. <laughs> You're a node. Do you, uh, do you have any uh, closing thoughts? We can like return to the sun uh, you know, as an inspiration to uh, to wrap us up, perhaps that that oh, tends yeah. to work out okay every now and then, unless yeah. you have something like something else that, and and of course we'll leave time for you to uh, to I I don't even think I said Magic in the United States is the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's we'll say it now so that people can go directly from here. <laughs> To, to the podcast. It, yes. Yes. It, it, yes. I've really been – I binged it in like a day. It was so good. Oh, sweet. Okay. That makes me glad. Yeah. So, yeah, with the sun, I would say going back to that wall, like um, – so in the podcast, we are really trying to shine sunlight on these practices that have been historically um, hidden either deliberately or because they're marginalized. And not all of them are magical practices. A lot of them are marginalized religions that get called magic as a pejorative. So yeah. um, I think that's something that is helpful for, for self-aware magical practitioners to be aware of is that there are a lot of things that we talk about in these magical communities, but um, the communities that these practices are indigenous to do not think of them as magic. And that, that yeah. there's, there's, there's a history of colonialism that yeah. like it would behoove us to shine some light on in, in, in magic. Um Mm. But, uh, but at the same time, like when you know where something is like that, that gives you a lot of latitude to, um, make really sensible decisions about how you're exploring the world of magic and, and do it better and be better. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah. So magic in the United States, um, we are working on season two right now, um, which is going to have. We're going to touch on a whole bunch of things from uh, uh, court cases against uh, leukemia practitioners to um, uh, theistic Satanism to Ooh, theistic right? Satanism. Theistic that, Satanism. That is interesting. Yeah. Um, the other side of the Satanic Panic. Um, <laughs> uh, to like, I'm trying to remember what we're. Oh, we're going to talk about the Minoan Brotherhood. So, so getting into Wicca, but like t looking at a slightly different angle of that, and getting into the Minoan Brotherhood and the history of Eddie Bazinski. Um, all kinds of there's there's going to be another six episodes. Yeah. Um, and season one is out. It's free wherever you want to get your podcast. And yeah, yeah. binge it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you should. Yeah, <laughs> listeners. Yeah, definitely check it oh, out. Yeah, next up, the next season is going to launch on um, uh, May Eve, Beltane. So, oh, just, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Wonderful. Yes. I can't wait. And, yeah. and uh, you know, it, anyone out there listening who's like got a family member who like listens to NPR or whatever, and you want them yeah. to understand you a little bit better. Uh, I think that this might be like, it's, it, I, I learned a lot, you know, I'm sort of new, but not that new to, yeah. to magic. But so I learned a lot and got a lot out of it myself. I loved it. Uh, I also think that it could be really valuable as a way to like bridge the gap with your mm -hmm. uncle or whatever who thinks that you're being a little bit silly because it really does yes. uh, like give everything the uh, the honor that it deserves. Uh, that is a hundred percent our audiences. Like my my partner who's not a practitioner, my in laws who are loving, wonderful people but are not practitioners. Like my coworkers. So yes, this is this is for non practitioner audiences. But um, but practitioners listen up. So then you can be like, oh hey, this is what I do, guys. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Wonderful, Heather Freeman. Thank you so much. Thanks thank for having me. Yeah, this was this was a real delight. Thanks for joining me. Thanks. Take care.
Thanks. Bye.